0: He was caring, he was giving. He loved nothing more than to make people laugh.
1: A heart-wrenching tribute from the father of Carson Cremeni. Hundreds attend the funeral for a young boy gone far too soon.
2: Groundbreaking test flights. In the future, how the pharmacy might fly to you. And winning one of the world's most
1: grueling marathons.
3: By the time I was actually finishing the race, I thought that I had heat stroke.
1: How a runner from Nanaimo conquered Machu Picchu. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Not a dry eye in a Langley church today as hundreds gathered to remember 14-year-old Carson Cremeni.
1: The teen died of a suspected drug overdose, egged on by others who recorded his last moments and then posted it on social media. Jill Bennett with more on how Carson is being remembered and the message for everyone.
4: I just want to say to my son
0: that thank you for being my best friend and my closest friend. And I love you, and I will never forget, and I will always have you in my heart.
5: A heart-wrenching tribute to his only son. Aaron Kremeni broke down as he talked about 14-year-old Carson, his love of video games, his sense of humor, and his dreams of one day becoming a veterinarian.
0: His favorite day of the year by far was Halloween. He, he loved everything about it. He was adamant that costumes should be scary, and he always tried to dress up in the scariest costume every year. He loved to make people jump and then laugh and have everybody laugh.
4: I feel that there's a real need for a change to happen in
5: our world like so this doesn't happen again to some other child. <laughs> This is 14-year-old Carson at the Walnut Grove Skate Park just hours before he died of an apparent drug overdose August 7th. RCMP are investigating after these videos were shared on social media. Older youth can be heard mocking Carson as he starts acting strangely. As he shows signs of medical distress, no one helps him. When RCMP arrived after the first of three 911 calls that night, officers couldn't find the teen. They are now being investigated by B.C.'s police watchdog to see if that response... Played any role in the death. Would
6: you believe this beautiful
5: boy? While this was a celebration of a much loved teen, there was also a clear message. What happened to Carson cannot happen again.
0: When you see something, make sure you let someone know
7: what you're seeing. Make sure you tell an adult, a teacher,
8: Tell someone.
6: At only 14 years old, his life was taken when he was just trying to fit in.
5: The exact cause of death has not been released as the RCMP investigation continues. Jill Bennett, Global News.
2: RCMP needs your help identifying a suspect vehicle and persons of interest after shots were fired and one man was taken to hospital. It happened in Wally on August 12th. Take a look at this surveillance video. Investigators need to track down that white sedan, possibly an older model Cadillac that has a broken rear passenger side window. They also want to identify the occupants associated with the vehicle. Anyone with information is asked to contact Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers.
1: Sentencing began today for a driver who pleaded guilty to a crash that killed two women and caused devastating injuries to a third. Nicholas Carboneras has a long history of dangerous driving, and last November was speeding at nearly three times the legal limit when he lost control of his Jeep. Sarah McDonald was in court and has more from the victim's families on the never-ending fallout.
9: In
6: a matter of seconds, on a slick road in Surrey, countless lives were irreversibly altered. Two Abbotsford women killed and another left with life-altering injuries.
3: You're faced with a lot of different emotions, like whether to feel angry, sad.
6: Paige Nagata never met her niece, born days after the crash last November, that killed the 19-year-old and the mother of her boyfriend, Sarah Dillon.
10: You cannot constantly be driving as a speeding driver and expect to get away with a slap on the wrist.
6: The parents and the husband of Dylan, a mother of three and a nurse, recalling the day they learned of her death at the hands of a speeding, reckless driver, traveling nearly three times the speed limit at the time of impact.
7: A car is no different than a loaded gun in the hands of the inept and the irresponsible
6: the driver, Nicholas Carvaneras has already pleaded guilty to dangerous driving causing death and bodily harm, apologizing to his victims and their families in court on Thursday. Both Crown and Defence in agreement the 26-year-old should serve time in jail. The question is for how long?
8: At the time of impact, the reconstruction expert uh, calculated his speed at 123 kilometres an hour and I think at one point before that, he was going 167 kilometers an hour.
6: Carvineris is expected to be sentenced next month, with Crown asking for up to two years behind bars, followed by probation and a four year ban on driving. Defense asking for 12 to 15 months in jail. At the end of the day, 20 years, 100 years, he's in his own prison none of which will be adequate justice for those left picking up the pieces and now serving a life sentence of their own. Sarah MacDonald, Global News.
2: Abbotsford Police are seeking witnesses to a fatal hit and run, specifically the driver of a van who was in the area at the time. At around 8.30 last Tuesday night, an elderly South Asian man was hit and killed while walking on Marshall Road RCMP believe a dark colored SUV was involved and tonight they are appealing for witnesses including the driver of a light colored van captured on surveillance traveling east on Marshall Road and heading toward Emerson Street investigators say it is likely the van crossed paths with the vehicle involved in the collision police also want to speak with a South Asian woman who was walking along Marshall Road and may have witnessed the crash
1: Day five of cross-examination of Andrew Berry, the Oak Bay father accused of killing his two young daughters, wrapped with a very dramatic close. Crown addressing Barry with its theory about how that day really unfolded. Ramina Dea has the powerful exchange, and once again, we want to warn you, the details of this trial are disturbing.
11: Andrew Barry's life had become hopeless, unbearable, said Crown. He had no money, lots of debt, a gambling problem, and the girls were about to be taken away from him. So Barry picked Christmas Day to kill his daughters and commit suicide because it would be the largest psychological blow to his ex and his parents because he despised them. Barry disagreed with all of it. Crown... I'm going to suggest to you, Mr. Barry, you weren't planning on killing Chloe and Aubrey, but in the morning something changed and you lost your temper. Barry disagreed. Crown again. I'm going to suggest it was probably something along the lines of maybe Chloe waking up and saying that she couldn't wait to go to her mom's to open up presents and see her grandparents. Barry disagreed. At that point, you lost your temper, Mr. Barry, I suggest, said Crown, and you picked up that bat that was right there and you hit Chloe with it. And you knew at that point there was no going back. Barry disagreed again. I suggest, Mr. Barry, you were going to commit suicide and you decided you couldn't not take the girls with you. Barry disagreed and I suggest Mr. Barry that after you got the knife from the kitchen you came in and you stabbed Chloe and I suggest Mr. Barry that you then went to Aubrey's room where she was still asleep in her bed and you did the same to her. Once again Barry disagreed. Crown suggesting it was Barry's turn next. He knew he had to finish the job or the police were coming. So he stabbed himself repeatedly and then staggered into the bathroom, took his clothes off and got in the tub to die. Barry disagreed with all of it. The trial continues Friday. Ramina Dea, Global News.
2: Vancouver police are appealing for help to find a man wanted Canada-wide for firearms offenses and possession of stolen property. 45-year-old Romano Marto de Harjo has been wanted since April of 2018. The charges stem from a joint forces operation led by the FPD that tar- by the VPD rather that targeted four major violent crime groups on the lower mainland Police say he may have ties to Saskatoon but is originally from Alberta Anyone with information is asked to contact VPD or Crime Stoppers
1: James Oller the former polygamous leader of Bountiful BC sentenced to 12 months in jail today Oller was found guilty of removing a 15 year old girl from the community to be married to a man in the United States Linda Aylesworth now, with a look back at how we got here and what the justice had to say to Oller in her sentencing.
7: James Oller is no longer a free man. His sentencing at the BC Supreme Court in Cranbrook to 12 months in jail and 18 months on probation, a very long time coming.
1: I don't have any particular reaction to him being sentenced, but I think it's important that they went through the system, that charges were laid, and uh, they were convicted. And it sends a message that the, uh, the offense of polygamy is uh, very much alive.
7: Oler, a former leader of a polygamous sect in southeastern B.C., was convicted of transporting his underage daughter to the United States in 2004 to marry an older man. His conviction and sentencing are significant because for decades the law turned a blind eye to such offenses. It's been a legal mess for a long time. Um, there have been people within, within the Attorney General's ministry, within um, legal circles that always said that nothing could be done. The reason? That charging members of a polygamous sect for transporting child brides and for polygamy itself would infringe on their religious rights. But 10 years ago, then-Attorney General Wally Opel decided enough was enough.
12: I took
1: some heat for doing it. I took criticism, but I thought... This is a gender issue. I thought it was a case of exploitation of women.
7: If you have polygamy, ultimately it does lead to child abuse because if you have many, if you want to have many wives, it means you're going to have to go younger and younger and younger and ultimately you get to having child brides. While fellow polygamist Winston Blackmore was sentenced to three months house arrest last year, Oler is the first in BC to go to prison for his crime.
12: You know, these proceedings over the last five years have given uh, prosecutors a roadmap
13: uh, from from charging to uh, to prosecuting through trial proceedings.
7: There are a number of very good people who fought very, very hard so that we would see the day that some of these people would end up in jail. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
2: Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was back in B.C. today, teaming up with Premier John Horgan, announcing an agreement between the two governments to increase electric power in the province. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on how today's event may be just the latest example of this growing bromance between these two leaders.
8: Keith. It is indeed a political bromance, uh, Sophie, as these two leaders uh, like to share the stage. They call each other by their first names. Uh, they hug each other. Uh, and it's sort of effusive in their praise for each other. Why it's interesting now, and we're not getting into the details of the announcement, is it's on the eve of the next federal election. So you've got an NDP premier and a federal liberal uh, leader basically uh, liking each other in public and on a public stage, which has to drive, I think, the federal NDP slightly crazy. Here's the prime minister again and singing John Horgan's praises.
12: Whenever I sit down with John, I'm reminded how much progress can be made for middle-class Canadians when forward-thinking governments work together. Thank you, John, for your leadership, your partnership, and your friendship. Over these past years, we've been able to work together. We've been able to get big things done for British Columbians, and indeed, uh, showed Canadians how things can be done when people work together.
2: Well, Keith, have you ever seen a B.C. Premier and Prime (laughs) Minister getting along so well?
8: In a short answer, no. But I've covered 10 premiers and about a half dozen, and watched their interactions about a half dozen prime ministers. I've never seen a more positive relationship between a BC premier and a sitting prime minister. And it makes you wonder whether or not secretly, and they'll never admit this publicly, the the BC NDP government would be quite happy to see Justin Trudeau return in either a minority or majority government come that election on October 21st. It's a pretty chummy relationship.
2: We'll see how it develops over the next uh, couple of months. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Millions of Americans in the path of Hurricane Dorian. The expanded state of emergency in Florida and how residents are preparing later on the news hour.
1: And Pinterest promises to stick to the truth. What the social media giant is doing to address rampant misinformation later.
2: Right now though, an historic drone delivery with huge implications. London Drugs, Canada Post and Indro Robotics successfully pulling off Canada's first delivery beyond visual line of sight of prescription drugs via drone.
1: John Waugh explains why it could be a game changer when it comes to getting emergency medicine to remote areas and potentially saving lives.
14: Drones can take someone's selfie and capture a breathtaking scene on camera. But imagine the device soaring through the skies in an effort to save a life.
0: For a lot of medication, for example, if it's an asthmatic patient, when they're having difficulties breathing, they need it immediately.
14: So London Drugs, Injure Robotics and Canada Post partnered up to deliver a very special package. A drone carrying prescription medication making its way across BC's coastal waters from Duncan to Salt Spring Island and into the history books.
8: Salt Spring has some quite remote locations in it. It's very rural. The drone could get in anywhere.
14: By car and ferry, the journey runs more than 37 kilometres, taking about an hour and 15 minutes. That's with no delays. By drone, the more direct route is only 11 clicks, touching down at its destination in just over 10 minutes. We're a remote
10: community that's serviced well. But when you need your prescription, you need your prescription.
14: So how does a drone make it that distance beyond the line of sight? When we see mishaps like this all over social media, bad batteries or connections leading to a ton of close calls.
10: We've got to rely on the drone to be able to send back a good solid image so that we can see exactly what it can see. And also have it smart enough that it can make adjustments.
14: And by choosing prescription medication as its precious cargo, this Canadian initiative might have gotten an edge over other drone delivery projects like Amazon.
10: And I think the regulator will give much more permission to those kind of life-saving activities than they will to maybe just a standard Amazon delivery.
14: The data will be shared with Transport Canada in hopes that important prescriptions filled in the future will continue to take flight. John Hua, Global News.
1: International students have proven to be a windfall for B.C. universities and colleges, bringing in millions of dollars every year through their pricier tuition fees.
2: But B.C.'s post-secondary institutions come to rely on that revenue. And are foreign students taking spots that could be
9: going to Canadians? Nadia Stewart reports. Over the past decade, the international student population has doubled in B.C. More than 58,000 traveling here in search of higher learning. Instead, they get higher costs, sometimes paying five times more than domestic students. They're really used as uh, almost revenue-generating units to try and balance institutions' budgets. Tanisha Clausen with the B.C. Federation of Students says that some B.C. post-secondary institutions, international students are poised to spend even more than the government. In 2015, 63,000 domestic students generated $339 million in revenue, while just 15,000 full-time international undergrad students generated nearly the same amount. Klaassen calls the unregulated system unfair. There's no cap on how much these fees rise year over year, and misconceptions about this segment of the student body has left the public unsympathetic. People typically think that international students are, are wealthy and things like that um, because they have to pay these high tuition fees, but a lot of them end up having to take money from, from multiple members of their family to have it in their bank account so they can get accepted here. Minister of Advanced Education Melanie Marks says the NDP inherited a messy file from the former Liberal government. The former government
4: essentially told institutions to double the numbers. That, to me, isn't direction. It, it caused a lot of pressure points, and out of the 25 uh, public post-secondaries, across the
9: ecosystem. Some have a lot of international students and some have none. Mark says provincial policies are under review. This after SFU's board voted earlier this year to increase tuition for international students by 12 to up to 20% in some programs. And despite the hikes, they're still flocking to BC. Over the past number of
8: years, it's fluctuated in British Columbia anywhere from a little over 6% growth to, in some cases, over 10% growth. So uh, I don't expect that to lessen.
9: But the BCFS campaign for change won't quit until, they say, the system is fair for all students. Nadia Stewart, Global News.
2: Well, as kids get ready to go back to the classroom, it's not just new school supplies and clothes parents need to worry about. This year, the province is enforcing new requirements around vaccinations.
1: As Erin MacArthur tells us, routine vaccines still aren't mandatory, but children who haven't received immunizations will face some different rules.
0: From babies in the intensive care unit.
9: This looks like this might. To
0: kids battling cancer. Immunization against the measles isn't always possible. Parents forced to rely on the rest of society, gripped with doubt, knowing that not everyone is protected.
3: She's not able to get immunizations such as the measles, which you would get when you're
0: a year old. Last year, a cluster of measles cases focused the discussion on vaccination. The government quickly taking partial steps to improve vaccination rates for school-aged kids. Students given an opportunity to catch up on their vaccinations, some 30,000 doses of MMR were given out this summer. Starting September 3rd, all students will have to come to class with their immunization records. The government, though, stopping short of demanding mandatory immunization.
1: And the mandatory records approach uh, is one that has worked quite well in Ontario. They've now seen vaccination rates uh, climb up uh, towards 95%.
0: In New Brunswick, the provincial government is tabling a mandatory vaccine bill. Doctors here in B.C. aren't sure if that's the best way to go forward. By simply having the records of all the students on hand, treatment can move much more efficiently. Parents will have to talk to public health officials, and anyone not vaccinated in school will be forced to miss 21 days in the event of an outbreak. And for a lot of parents, it's not that they have purposefully chosen not to vaccinate their kids. They've just forgotten or something else has come up or, or whatever reason. Measles, a serious, potentially fatal disease with an effective preventative treatment. In order for it to work, 95% of the population needs to have the vaccine. A number in B.C. we are nowhere close to achieving. Aaron MacArthur Global News.
1: Well, anyone heading to the PNE is lucking out this week with an incredible stretch of weather.
2: Our Kasha Broderka is there tonight with more on a show <laughs> that looks like anything but a drag. Kasha, <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
15: good one. Touché. Yeah, we're very snug here with a bunch of drag queens. Hi. Hello, ladies. Hello. Uh, it's not about weather yet. We'll have a forecast coming up shortly, but now it's all about for the love of drag. It hits the stage every day at 7.30 p.m. here at the Tim Horton stage. Tell us who you are and what we can expect of each of you.
9: Well, my name is Ray Sunshine. I'm Vancouver's suspicious woman, oh. and I am uh, bringing Shania Twain all month long.
0: Excellent. I feel
15: like a woman. Beyoncé?
9: Yes, my name is Kendall Gender, and I'm
13: giving you the full Beyoncé Coachella fantasy.
15: Excellent. And yourself?
13: And I'm Sienna Blaze, and I'm doing Shirley Bla- Bassey glamorous one of them all
9: and finally Gloria oh well, I miss Gloria and I'm just here because it's out at the P&E perfect.
15: Okay, so who's hitting the stage tonight all of us all of you yeah, you're perfect right of the you're all yeah. looking amazing <laughs> full-on sass I almost just got it there and I need <laughs> your <more> I, well, <laughs> and I need your advice I- on makeup okay we'll but we have your forecast coming up later in the show there you go guys be
14: sunny
2: Kendall gender.
1: I mean, it's so awesome. (laughs) They're, They're very, very funny, and what a great show. I want to fill
13: up my tank so that when it's time to go, I'll go.
2: People in Florida are fueling up and stockpiling supplies as Hurricane Dorian approaches. The powerful storm dumped heavy rain on the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico Wednesday. But aside from widespread power outages, the region was largely spared. Dorian is set to hit the Bahamas on Saturday and reach Category 4 strength when it makes landfall on the U.S. mainland on Sunday. Florida's governor is urging people to prepare, already declaring a state of emergency for all 67 counties.
1: We're learning new details today about the victims of a deadly boat crash in Muskoka involving t- uh, television personality Kevin O'Leary.
2: A 48-year-old Ontario woman and a 64-year-old Florida man were killed in the nighttime collision. Global's Mark Carcassel has the latest.
13: Not much in the way of new information on the incident on Saturday in Muskoka, but we have learned a little more about the deceased. 48-year-old Susanna Brito of Uxbridge was one of two who died on the boat allegedly struck by the one business mogul and reality star Kevin O'Leary was on. While their family have chosen not to speak to reporters, people are offering their condolences on social media. The town's mayor, Dave Barton, also issued a statement Thursday reading, quote, Susanna's energy and enthusiasm will be missed by all who knew her. We are mourning her loss along with her family and friends. On behalf of the township of Uxbridge, I offer our deepest condolences to her loved ones left behind. Now, we did manage to speak to the brother of the man who died on that boat, 64-year-old Gary Poltash of Florida, who's said to have died instantly. Poltash's brother, Larry, did not want to be recorded, but he tells Global News he's just relieved his brother's death came quickly and that he didn't suffer. He says Gary lived a good life, described him as a self-made man who had a successful career as an accountant before retiring. He also says he feels sad for Brito's family and her three children who've lost their mother. Larry Poltash says he spent each day since the incident praying. When I asked him what he was praying for, he tells me, quote, that their souls, his brothers and that of Susanna Brito, make it to heaven. Now, for his part, O'Leary has not made any further comments since the one he initially sent out days after the crash, stressing that he's cooperating with authorities and implying the other boat involved didn't have its lights on and that it fled the scene after the crash. Larry Poltash doubts that second point, at least, saying the owner of the boat his brother was on is a doctor and that he believes he would have kept his cool and sped off to seek medical attention for the victims, a story that right now seems to be backed up by local OPP investigators. Now, we'll see what information, if any, the OPP reveal in the coming days. As for funeral arrangements for the deceased, we do know that there is a visitation set for Susanna Brito in Uxbridge on Friday with a funeral the following day. As for Gary Poltash, his adult son and daughter are expected to be coming to Canada to pick up their father's body and bring it back home within the coming days. Back to you reporting.
2: In Health Matters Tonight, a popular social media site is taking steps to stop the spread of misinformation surrounding vaccines.
1: Anyone who searches for vaccine-related content on Pinterest will now be directed to major public health agencies like the World Health Organization and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The lifestyle site is also banning ads, comments or recommendations on those pages to avoid any misinformation being shown.
12: That's too small, Rainy. Go get another one.
2: The dog on a mission for mollusks will show you how she does it coming up after the forecast.
1: Well, the folks down at the P&E have been happy as a clam with the forecast, we'll get to that with cashier in just a moment, but let's talk to Squire right now, went down there, found a friend at the
12: Superdog show. Well actually that dog was rather super as well. Yeah. One thing, I think the Superdog show is now in its 41st year at the P&E. Are the dogs
2: 41
12: too? No, they've, no uh, those, okay. those dogs retire and let yeah. the other dogs <laughs> right, take oh, over. Okay. And uh, anyway, so um, people love it and we tried to find out, okay, how long does it take to actually train a Superdog? That's one of our questions. <laughs> If you want to get your dog super enough to be a super dog, just know it's going to take a bit of time.
15: For a dog to become a super dog, it's roughly two years. So the first year, we do a lot of socializing and a lot of playing and a lot of games. And then the second year, we start working on the specific skills that we're looking for in our shows.
12: What's most amazing or I guess super about these dogs is how quickly they get used to doing everything in front of an audience with all the lights and the music and the noise.
3: I don't think they really realize how many people are in here. And then, you know,
15: when it lights up, they, they get, it's like, it just drives them. For a really confident dog that has an amazing relationship with their trainer, these dogs feed off the crowd. Super
12: dogs don't discriminate. Any breed is welcome, but some are easier to train than others. In what breed learns the fastest?
10: Uh, the herding breeds. So the herding dogs are always on. They're, where are the sheep? Where are the cows? Where are they? Where are they? So in, in a SuperDog environment, they're really tuned in.
13: What's in there?
8: Your shoe? Wow!
12: The ultimate aim of super dogs is to show the connection between people and dogs. It's a connection that, when you think about it,
10: is quite remarkable. And we should be in wonderment that we live with another species in our home. It's another species. We talk to them. We love them. We hug them. They sleep on our beds. It's another species. If it was a chimpanzee or a dolphin or an elephant, you'd be amazed. Well, it's another species. There should be wonderment in the fact that we have these, uh, these, these, these dogs in our home.
1: I'm in, I'm in wonderment that I live with Susie every day. Susie, the dog, the dog. Susie, the dog <laughs> I was going to say who is Susie, yeah. Susie's the dog, Susie's a dog. I didn't realize well, Jane that, okay. and will too. But Susie. yeah. Thank
2: All you. right. Uh, back down to the PNE uh, for the love of drag. Kasia Badurka getting some makeup tips and forecasting the weather. Kasia.
15: Hi, good evening. Yeah, it's a great night for the PE Sophie, we've got an increasing cloudiness though, but we're not expecting any precipitation for now. Let me get to your forecast right away. So we take you to uh, English Bay here, where temperatures are sitting at 22 degrees. Temps have fallen already by a few. Mostly cloudy skies due to a system to the south of that. I'll show you this very shortly. But first, these areas marked in blue here do have a thunderstorm risk this evening through the overnight hours, and it does include Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island. Already seeing some st- thunderstorms developing on western sections of Vancouver Island due to the system to the south of us. And moving forward, you'll know many of us seeing more cloud cover for tomorrow, a chance of, sh- of showers right across the southern half of the province, that's for tomorrow. And then on your Saturday also, better chance of seeing the showers would be along coastal sections, but that's a risk of rain on Saturday and on Sunday. Better risk or a better chance of seeing the rain is on your Sunday. So have a look at what to expect for your Friday. We are expecting plenty of sunshine though to the northern half of the province. Temperatures are still gonna be above seasonal, by a few degrees. Same thing for us to the southern half, but increase in cloudiness, the chance of showers is there, and the chance of non-severe thunderstorms for all areas there marked with the uh, with the bolt there. Uh, also, we could see that in the Fraser Valley, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, and areas to the east of that do have that risk. It's morning showers then clearing out into the afternoon. Here's a look at your five-day forecast for Metro Vancouver. So all in all, great conditions for the PNE. There you go, guys.
1: Sure looks like it for the last weekend. Thanks very much, Kasia.
2: Well, it's incredible what dogs can sniff out, everything from illegal drugs to cancer. But one pooch living along the coast in New Brunswick has a different specialty.
6: Did you get one? She's really happy doing this. She's happy as a clam.
1: That's right. Rennie, the four-year-old golden doodle, is an expert clam digger. She sniffs them out underwater and shows no hesitation when she's on the hunt uses her keen nose to track down the mollusk, digs around in the muck to feel it, and then shoves her head under water to retrieve it. Her owners say she developed her special skills on her own with no training.
6: It's not anything that that we trained her specifically to do, it just kind of developed naturally. It just evolved, like she likes digging for clams and quahogs and oysters.
12: Well, I think it's pretty strange, honestly, because
14: I never saw a dog do this type of thing before.
2: Cleaning her up must be
14: fun.
12: Yeah, every time she goes out. I, All right. was, I always wonder about that saying, happy as a clam. How do you know if a clam's happy?
14: Because it's smiling. Does it's it wag
12: its tail? You know, it has small. no tail to wag. Okay. <laughs> what do you have? These are deeper thoughts than I want to get into. Get our groove on there with the money numbers.
2: And you're making last minute, I don't know. No, no, I'm just checking
12: things. And now the sure wires right. are all don't stuck. Trip at, over I don't, the don't want to get electrocuted here. Okay. A tennis ball or anything like that. There we go. You ready? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I am too. Uh, on the men's side of tennis's grand slams, the last 11 tournaments have been won by one of three men Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, or Raphael Nadal. It's a cornered market. But that's not the case on the women's side when it comes to Grand Slams. In the last 11 Grand Slams for women, there have been nine different champions. It's always wide open, which is good for someone like Canada's Bianca Andreescu, who was in the third round of the U.S. Open thanks to a win today. In the second round against Kirsten Flipkins of Belgium. First set, Andreescu, forehand winner, to the corner. No, you're not getting that. She's up 4-2. Flipkins tries a drop shot. Well, I mean, that's clever and all, but it's still not gonna work. Cross court winner by Andreescu there. Now backhand. Wins the first set, 6-3. Second set, Bianca deals an ace. Lead 6 5, Absolutely and this is match point for her. 6 3, 7 5. Bianca's a winner. On to round number three. Dennis off against Enrique Loxinen of Switzerland. It it Shapovalov, clean winner there on the backhand, took the first set 6 4. Second set, tie break, Shapovalov,
10: ace, up two sets, third set now,
12: Shapovalov, forehand winner, 5-2. This is match point, goes backhand, 6-4, 7-6, 6-2, he is in the third round. So that's two Canadians, one on each side. What about Vancouver's Vasek Pospisil against American tennis, yes tennis with a Y, Sangren. Sangren won the first set, Vasek in the second. Nice volley at the net there in the tiebreaker and then going net again. Go, 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 go. There you go. Oh, the footwork was Wins the second there. set, 7-6. Third set, Sangren. That's a nice effort.
10: Oh, what a great shot from He Sandrin.
12: won the third set, and then in the fourth, oh, Sangren, nice point.
10: Three of the four sets. He Dennis beat Voshek
12: in four
8: U.S. Open. sets.
12: The University of Wisconsin's hockey program is one of the better ones in the NCAA. It's been great for years, and they will play two games against UBC tomorrow and Saturday. It's the first time UBC has played an NCAA team in six years, and this is a team that is full of players who are considered very serious NHL prospects.
10: Wisconsin's hockey program is one of the most storied in the NCAA. Their six championships are the fourth most ever, but it's been a while. Joe Pavelski led them to their last title in 2006, but there is renewed optimism the Badgers will be in the championship mix this year. They have no fewer than 12 NHL draft picks on their team, including two first-rounders from this past June. Alex Turcotte, fifth overall to the L.A. Kings, and Cole Caulfield, 15th overall to the Montreal Canadiens. Both were huge stars with the under 18 USA national development team.
8: I think if you watch practice, it takes you about three seconds to see which two guys are the, the hardest working, stick their nose in their dive for every loose puck battle. You know they, Turk's gotten about four uh, hack and whack battles with teammates because he competes so hard. I mean, that's what it is when the puck's on the ice, he wants it.
13: Every practice is like a game here and, uh, you know, it's probably the best part because, you know, we're always going to be prepared for, for the next step.
10: The skill level is off the charts for this Wisconsin team. Not only do they have three current first rounders, but they've also got another very high potential first round NHL pick. Calgary's Dylan Holloway was the Canadian Junior A Player of the Year last season in the AJHL. He's projected to be a top-five pick next June, so he is on the right team. Uh, every little detail matters to them, especially in the weight room, too. they are animals in the weight room, so uh, yeah, and on the ice, just all the details and every wrap, every drill, is just, uh, just like as hard as they can, super precise, and they compete to win, is just unbelievable, too. There's no way of knowing how long these top talents will stay in college, so Wisconsin knows it needs to win now. These kinds of teams don't come around often.
13: Goals to win. Um, I think that's what we're going to try and do, and um, we're really competitive people, like I said, and, and we want to be the best. We're
8: pretty excited about it, as it should be, and now it's our job to, to come together as a team. It's great having superstars skate around the ice, but it's greater when you can do something special as a group.
12: They drew the groups for uh, UEFA Champions League. Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid are in the same group. So are Bayern Munich and Tottenham. Barcelona is in a group with Inter Milan and Borussia Dortmund. Last year's champs, Liverpool, they're in a group with Napoli. Chelsea is in a group with Ajax. Juventus, um, who is Juventus paired up with? I wrote it down and didn't keep it. Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, I'll get back to you on that one. Easy? Doesn't matter. I don't see it. Atletico Madrid, maybe. Okay, Man City is an easy group. No big teams are with them. This is you bothering know? me because now wait I wait a minute. Find you're it. not. No, wait no, a minute.
1: No. You're not perfect.
12: No, it is Atletico Madrid. Oh, it there was. they are. I was. I was right. right. Yeah, I was right. Was right after all. Whew! Thank goodness for that.
2: Running a marathon is tough unless you're our producer, Marsha Gabriel, who could Easy. But running a marathon up and down the Andes Mountains is next level.
1: However, a Nanaimo woman who had never run a marathon before tackled it all and came out on top. Kylie Stanton has more on how she did it and what inspired her to keep going.
10: Three, two, one,
4: let's go! Imagine getting through 42 kilometers in the Andes Mountains, piling on more than 4,000 meters of elevation. Go get them! Now, Imagine running it. It was the craziest thing I've ever done. To attempt the Inca Trail Marathon, dubbed the most difficult marathon in the world, you have to be a little insane. Woo! But Kristen Clark did it for her sanity.
3: I really do enjoy just being out in nature. It's very peaceful and calm.
4: And so where better than the chance to race along Peru's historic trail? the finish line at the ancient mountain city of Machu Picchu.
3: It was four mountains altogether, three mountain passes, and an incredible trail with tons of scenery along the way.
4: Clark, who has never run a marathon before, began her training last spring, running local trails and hikes. But what she couldn't prepare for was the altitude and the course's drastic change in temperatures. Starting near freezing at the 82-kilometer mark on the trail, getting colder as it wound through the mountain summits until crossing into the hot, humid heat of Machu Picchu. Moments of doubt along the way were inevitable. I had to stop and just
3: tell myself that I need to keep going, don't sit down, and just continue the race.
4: But Clark not only finished, she won beating the next closest competitor by more than an hour and setting a record for fastest ever female time at eight hours, 40 minutes, and five seconds.
3: This was a whole nother level and I was very, very proud.
4: An inspiration to others, looking at setting their sights on great heights.
3: Get out there, set your goals, start small and work up to the big adventures.
4: Kylie Stanton, Global News. And what were you
2: saying, Squire?
12: Okay, so one marathon, one win. Yeah, perfect record. In the mountains of Peru. Toughest one. I'm out. I'm all good. I'm done. (laughs) Thank you. I retire undefeated.
2: Well, she's not retiring. She says she hopes to do a marathon in every continent in the world. And next up, she thinks, is probably going to be the Great Wall in China.
1: Thinking big. It's amazing. She said she got back on the trails after having two kids. That was her attempt to get back to sanity after being a mom of two young children do you
2: understand that
1: i do kind of for the young (laughs) boy at home
2: who's probably watching right now hi will (laughs) yeah
1: exactly (laughs) thanks for watching have a good night
2: good night all